Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of the Seven Investing Podcast. I'm Seven Investing founder and CEO Simon Erickson. One of the principles we always stress at Seven Investing is to think about things in the longer term. There's a lot of volatility in the stock market, it seems like every single month, whether it's tech market valuations being in a bubble or Chinese tech companies being in a sell off. We like to tune out a lot of that noise and look at the long term signals for investors. And it's really been interesting in recent years that there's been another alternative for investors to consider, which is cryptocurrencies. And certainly there's been a lot of volatility in the price of Bitcoin in recent months, but we also want to think about this with a long-term lens in place. And as such, Seven Investing has been excited to partner with an organization called CryptoEQ to help us make sense of cryptocurrencies, but also to think about them as a long-term investing opportunity. And so on today's podcast, I'm very excited to be joined by the co-founder and CEO of CryptoEQ, Spence Randall, who's joining me from Houston, Texas. Hey, Spence, it's nice to chat with you with the Seven Investing Podcast here today. It's great to be back, Sam. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, I should point out that one part of our partnership with CryptoEQ is we actually have these calls on a monthly basis. Uh, we publish them as advisor updates for seven investing subscribers. And I know that you also publish pieces of them for CryptoEQ as well. So it's kind of nice to have a public facing conversation with you about a lot of these topics that's going on in cryptocurrency world. So much is happening. There's so much to keep up with. I'm happy to share what I've learned with your audience. Let's start with the 10,000 foot level, Spence, because a lot of people hear crypto and they just think about the price of, of, of Bitcoin without getting too deep into what's really going on out there. Can you set the stage at 10,000 feet of kind of where we stand with Bitcoin and blockchains globally? Is it gaining adoption out there and what's really going on? Absolutely. Uh, so Bitcoin started over a decade ago. Um, it's the first mover in the digital asset industry. And it's uh, gained tremendous momentum since its inception. So it, we are seeing hundreds of millions of Bitcoin wallets around the world. So it's not a question of whether or not mass adoption is going to happen. It's more of a question of how you define that threshold. At, at what point would you consider Bitcoin mass adopted? Would it be a billion wallets? Right. So I, I think we're on that path. And the strongest narrative we see for Bitcoin in today's market is uh, as a digital store of value, and an alternative to something like physical gold. Um, so folks that are, are coming up now, you know, more my generation, right? They're looking at uh, the options they have as a store of value. Uh, you've got things like physical gold, or you could turn to uh, digital gold. And when, with the younger demographics, especially we see um, a higher level of comfort with this idea and concept of a digital store of value. So I've really seen that narrative take hold in Bitcoin. Um, if you look beyond Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin historically is about 40 to 60 percent of the cryptocurrency market. Um, if you look at other assets, the second mover to Bitcoin is Ethereum. And uh, one of the strong narratives we see with Ethereum right now is it's the evolution of the Internet. It's, so this, it's this idea that Ethereum can be the base layer for applications to be built on top in decentralized applications. So it's, it's similar in the sense of like an app store where you, it's a place where you can build and distribute your app. But the key difference is building atop Ethereum is decentralized or deploying in an app store um, in today's current market would be centralized where that, that third party can control you know, what's distributed within the store. Um, so 
that's that's one of the narratives we see with Ethereum. Um, some of the other strong narratives around Ethereum are the idea of decentralized finance and a, a more distributed, open, permissionless financial system. So that's DeFi. If, you, if you've seen that buzzword flying around. Um, and then the, another narrative uh, that's very, very strong in the market today is NFTs. And this idea of non-fungible tokens or digital collectibles. So this idea that um, you, know, you would have a one of a hundred collectible that's tokenized and living on the blockchain. A lot of NFT work is currently built atop Ethereum. Um, so whether it's DeFi or digital collectibles or NFTs, um, Ethereum is really dominating the evolution of the internet narrative. Whereas Bitcoin is really dominating this idea of a digital store of value. So together they represent, you know, three fourths of the market um, in terms of market cap. So you really can't talk about crypto without touching on those two assets because they've done so much in our industry and for our industry. Uh, so those are two of the, the strongest uh, narratives that we have today. Um, I'd also like to highlight for your audience, crypto companies going public. So a startup uh, from Rice University, actually Coinbase, uh, the founder went to Rice University. Um, they've been working on Coinbase for nearly a decade. They've crossed the chasm from a crypto startup to now a publicly traded company. Um, so that's you know, a huge thing to note to your audience. And there's a number of other crypto companies in the process um, pursuing going public or more entrenched traditional players shifting part of their offering or adding on to their offering where you'll have companies expanding that offer crypto services that are publicly traded, like a PayPal, for example, um, now getting uh, into crypto in a big way. Um, and then lastly, uh, the infrastructure bill right here in the US. Um, I think that'd be a great thing to talk about. Uh, Simon, if you want to set that up and provide some more context on the infrastructure bill. I, I absolutely would. And Spence, that is a, a fantastic 10,000 foot overview. I'd encourage anybody to rewind and play that one back about five times just to hear what's going on globally. There's so much going on with cryptocurrencies. This isn't just something that's bouncing around in terms of the price of Bitcoin. This is something that's gaining adoption at an international level. We'll, we'll double click on a lot of those topics you just mentioned, Spence. Further in this conversation, I'd also recommend anyone to check out um, the, the past advisor updates that Spence and, and myself and uh, several of your advisors at CryptoEQ, several advisors here at 7investing, we do a collision course monthly. We publish those to 7investing.com slash research as advisor updates for anyone who wants to dig in deeper to a lot of those things like NFTs, like international adoption, like Spence was talking about. But let's let's talk what you just what you just mentioned there, Spence. I think that the really kind of the macro picture is important to keep in context here. And let's talk about the infrastructure bill, which is a trillion dollars uh, that is going through the US government right now. And it's got some interesting definitions that are relatable to cryptocurrencies. Uh, what's going on with this? Why is this really important for investors to keep an eye on? Yeah, I'd say one of the positive things about the infrastructure bill from, from the, a crypto perspective is all of the support that rallied around the amendments. Uh, so there's a number of proposed amendments uh, to the Senate that would change the original language in the infrastructure bill. Although those amendments were not included and that language was not included at the Senate level, the, the voices of the crypto industry were heard. There was a tremendous amount of support and awareness raised around the need for these amendments. Uh, so I want to highlight that, you know, crypto has arrived, regulation is needed. Um, you know, a step like this with the infrastructure bill and having language in there for crypto is a good thing. 
because uh, we need regulation in our industry to help it mature past that $2 trillion level. You know, it's no longer this nascent asset class at a trillion dollar plus market cap. It's primed to expand and it needs responsible regulation for more and more institutional capital and resources to flow into our industry. So I see it all as a good sign and growing pains. That said, uh, the amendments needed did not make it in at the Senate level. And there is an opportunity um, starting in September for amendments to be included at the House level and further review of the bill. Um, and to highlight kind of the crux of the challenge with uh, the bill and the need for the amendments, at the heart of the crypto part of the bill is language around what a broker is. And uh, from someone within the industry, the definition is far too broad um, and it doesn't uh, have nuance to account for part of the technical nature of things like Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a pseudonymous network meaning that you have a public address, but that address is not tied to an individual identity. And so with the definition they have for a broker, for example, if you use a mining company, uh, a, a Bitcoin mining company will issue Bitcoin to a number of pseudonymous addresses. As the bill stands today, it's asking for all of those transactions, whether they're uh, small or large, have KYC AML information so that you would need to know all of the, the name, the address, et cetera, et cetera, of each individual person that transacts with the network. Um, and that's really a non-starter for a, a mining company. Even if they wanted to be compliant, it would be impossible to uh, organize and, and aggregate all of that information because of the pseudonymous network, nature of the network. Um, so that, that's all, one of those key issues with the bill. Um, and we think there still is an opportunity to um, recognize the technical nuance here and provide definitions and language that uh, make it possible to be compliant. Um, as it stands today, I think uh, if the infrastructure bill were to stay exactly as is from a crypto perspective, it would push some innovation offshore, which I, that is not, I'm sure that's not the intention of the language. Um, so hopefully there's a middle ground to be struck um, and we can keep a lot of this innovation here in the U.S. It's a really interesting point you make, Spence, about regulations. A lot of people think of regulations as, as a risk, right? People are thinking, oh, Bitcoin's going to be overly regulated, and they, and they think that of a, as a net negative. Uh, you're posing it, though, as a net positive. It's a, a validation that crypto is here to stay, and regulations, uh, just as they are for any disruptive technology that reaches the mass market, are, are kind of necessary uh, to, because it kind of shows that this is for real and you're gaining adoption and more and more transactions are taking place out there. Do you think that, that America is, uh, is pro-blockchain or pro-cryptocurrency uh, reaching the mass market out there? I think in general, yes. I, I just think it's a long road of education and awareness. So I think that the U.S. historically, when it comes to technology innovation, has been pro-innovation. I think that, that the United States is a great place to build technology companies. So I don't think that we'd approach crypto differently in the long term, but there's a, a tremendous amount of awareness and education that needs to be done on this incredibly complex asset class. And I think that's our current challenge is educating um, our legislative bodies on what this actually is and overcoming all of those misconceptions and assumptions uh, that may not be correct about, about what we're dealing with here. Um, uh, to further you know, this point, after the infrastructure bill uh, and the, the proposed amendments, 
this week, there's been a call to action from, from Congress for the SEC and CTFC to come together, align, and uh, provide more clarity on um, Bitcoin and things like it. Uh, so you know, the SEC has a lawsuit open uh, against Ripple Labs and its asset XRP on whether or not that asset is a security. That, lo that lawsuit has been ongoing for uh, almost a year at this point. Um, so that, that coupled with uh, the infrastructure bill, we are, we are near uh, clarity here on, on, on some aspect of this asset class, like is Bitcoin a security, is Ethereum a security, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and how, how do brokers remain compliant um, in tax reporting? Some great points. You know, what we're speaking about definitions of, you know, securities or, or what is a broker and, and all of these things, we've actually seen some positive developments internationally. You know, the U.S. is figuring it out on its own terms, but we've seen Bitcoin get recognized as a legal tender now officially in El Salvador. And it seems that other countries such as Spain and Uruguay are following suit. Uh, what does this mean for Bitcoin to be recognized as a legal tender in some of these other countries, Spence? Well, it means that in certain parts of the world, Bitcoin is already money. Um, and you know, I'd like to highlight that El Salvador is the first country to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender. Uh, but a number of other countries uh, have signaled that they're interested in doing the same. So what you'll have is your first mover, your second mover, and then it kind of snowballs after that. Um, that's what we've seen with big movements like companies adopting crypto as part of their balance sheet and their treasury uh, asset allocation. So, you know, with, with legal tender, El Salvador is front running and pioneering here and doing a lot of the early work, but we expect a number of countries to follow on. With uh, accepting Bitcoin as legal tender, uh, what El Salvador has done is provided people an option. So the transactions can be settled in Bitcoin. So the merchant, the, the consumer can spend the Bitcoin in commerce and the merchant can accept the Bitcoin as money or um, it can be settled in fiat. So they have an option. If they would prefer their a current currency, which is the dollar, the dollar is legal tender in El Salvador as well. Um, they can continue with uh, business as usual where the consumer spends dollars or Bitcoin and the merchant receives dollars or Bitcoin. If they would like to participate in what we see as the future of their economy in El Salvador, they can choose to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. So that, you know, on the ground, that's what it means. Um, part of the innovation that's making this possible is second layer Bitcoin technology. And what that means is Bitcoin is the first layer. It's, it's infrastructure for moving value around the world uh, because of all of the small transactions needed to support an economy like El Salvador. There's something called the lightning network. Um, this isn't, something that's happened overnight. The Lightning Network has been developed for years and years um, and El Salvador is proving to be a great testing ground and a great, test a great stress test for the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network is something that's built atop of the layer one of Bitcoin um, to facilitate and make possible all of the volume of transactions needed to support uh, an economy of, of a country. Um, so Bitcoin wasn't, wasn't built, the layer one of Bitcoin is not built for um, millions of microtransactions. It's built to be the most secure decentralized blockchain in the world. And it's fantastic at moving large amounts of value 
anywhere in the world in a relatively short period of time. Really interesting, Spence, especially when you, when you talk about moving money across the world, right? You, we know that Latin America, South America, especially Argentina, Venezuela, I mean, a lot of these countries have gone through hyperinflation with their own currencies. Uh, it seems like when you see El Salvador and others of the, of the region adopting uh, Bitcoin as a legal tender, it's a great opportunity for global remittance uh, to kind of avoid a lot of those fees, a lot of the concerns about inflation of the local currencies. I mean, we could see something uh, where Bitcoin becomes kind of the, the local regional currency for, for this kind of area. Is that on your, on your radar as well as a use case uh, for remittance for, for Bitcoin or crypto? Yes, and there's even assets that have been developed beyond Bitcoin that specifically are attempting to tackle that use case of global remittance. If you, if you drill down and you think about Bitcoin for global remittances, one of the interesting things about Bitcoin is the fee structure doesn't scale with the value of the transaction. So if you're sending a large amount of Bitcoin or a small amount of Bitcoin, you can expect a very similar network fee. Um, and you can see that you know, if families are sending value, for example, from the US to El Salvador, why it would be beneficial to transact in Bitcoin, because uh, a lot of the uh, traditional ways of doing that, um, that have large, large fees that will you know, extract some of that value that would have gone to you know, your family or your friend, or, or if it's commerce and business, to the end business or the in person. Uh, so that, that's one of the advantages of transacting in Bitcoin. Yeah, fantastic. It'd be interesting to see this catch on in South America. Also in Africa, I know there's a lot of fees associated with sending money between the borders of countries in Africa. Uh, switching gears a little bit, Spence, let's, let's talk about the investing side of this as well. We've talked about Bitcoin and crypto uh, for used for remittance, for used for commercial transactions in El Salvador. But we've also seen, even within the United States, uh, cryptocurrencies are starting to be accepted by, by brokerages uh, and also kind of administers of, of 401k retirement plans. Uh, we saw a couple of months ago, a, a, a investment uh, asset manager for us all has, uh, who manages $1.7 billion of retirement funds and 401k plans, has now accepted certain select cryptocurrencies uh, to be included into 401k plans. Uh, this could be really interesting, Spence, because last I checked, there is a couple trillion dollars in U.S. retirement funds out there. Yeah, it's something we've been following closely. Uh, we've seen a number of offerings within the crypto space that help you um, allocate some of your retirement or your IRA or your 401k to uh, physical Bitcoin, physical Ethereum, where you would actually be able to trade the asset within your retirement account or within your IRA. Uh, from a, a more of an investing standpoint, a number of services have come online and a number have partnered with some of the reputable exchanges that we share with your audience. For the US, um, Coinbase, Gemini, and Kraken are amongst three of the best um, crypto exchanges uh, that are tried and true and been around for years and years. Uh, they're partnering with providers to make it easier for consumers to allocate, you know, one, two, three percent of a retirement portfolio to something like Bitcoin. And, and it, it does a couple of things, uh, but one of the most exciting things for people in the U.S. would be tax advantages. So if, if you're investing uh, within a, a tax advantage vehicle like an IRA or 401k, then uh, you could see how, you know, in an asset class that compounds 
annually at a 200% growth rate, which that is historically what Bitcoin has done, um, you can see the advantages of holding that value in a retirement account. That is really important for retirement accounts because we've kind of seen traditional thinking saying you should have your, your age should be the percentage of your retirement accounts that's in bonds. At least that's kind of traditional thinking that we've thought about it. But bonds have been dismal performing assets for decades now. Is cryptocurrency replacing bonds as a store of value in retirement funds? Or, or where is the money going to come from that could go to 5% or more of, a, of an overall allocation to crypto? Yeah, I mean, when I uh, first built my first investment portfolio, uh, bonds were, you know, a, an essential piece, right? You had, this was before Bitcoin. You had, you know, your 60-40 split was something that was classic, right? 60% equities, 40% bonds. And um, I think this, you know, what's happening with bonds just reminds everyone the importance of keeping an open mind and constantly learning about uh, changes in, in the macro environment. So uh, bonds uh, for this entire uh, pandemic period have had negative real return. Um, so the only guarantee there is that the value that you would invest in the bonds is likely to, to decrease in terms of purchasing power and actual value. Um, so then you start to ask yourself, well, where else could I allocate? Um, and you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate that you know people, folks blindly you know trade and displace all of their bond investment into crypto. Uh, but I do think there's an argument to be made for a portion of what was previously held in bonds uh, to be allocated to digital assets, especially high quality digital assets like Bitcoin. Um, so if Kathy Wood, for example, has been an advocate of what she thinks the future uh, structure in a, a responsible portfolio would be. Uh, the 60-40 would give way to like a 60-20-20 split, for example, where 20% of that portfolio would be uh, something like Bitcoin and other digital assets. Yeah, that's great, Spence. You know, one of the other things I always enjoy about our collision course con conversations every month is we kind of talk about how equities and cryptocurrencies are playing together in the same sandbox now. Uh, now, in addition to buying crypto directly, uh, you can buy publicly traded equities that have exposure in many ways to cryptocurrencies and everything that's going on in that market as well. One of these is Coinbase, who came public just a couple of months ago as an option. You and I have chatted about this company several times, but Coinbase is kind of one of the largest uh, American brokerages and exchanges where you can buy cryptocurrencies. 60% of its trading volume is coming from Bitcoin and Ethereum, but it's also got more than a hundred different crypto assets that you can buy and sell. Spence, it seems like right now Coinbase is deriving the majority of its revenue from custodial fees, commissions when you're actually placing trades, when you're buying or selling these assets. But what do you think uh, the future looks like for Coinbase? I know this is a competitive sector out there and there's a lot of attention. How do you think that things play out for the largest exchange out there in America? Yeah, I'm thinking about Coinbase. You know, I've used Coinbase over the years. Um, they've really built a great moat around um, both retail and institutional um, work here in the U.S. So as a retail trader investor, um, they have a great first mover advantage here in the United States and are recognized as the household name uh, for setting up a crypto account. Um, so incredible moats there around their brand. Um, and they continue to improve their offering for retail traders and investors. What's really developed over the past few years is an increased focus on institutions. Um, and so they are also the go-to provider for um, microtransactions and entering the market 
from an institutional perspective. So if a company, for example, uh, MicroStrategy, um, what they did was you know, allocate an incredible amount of capital from their balance sheet to Bitcoin. Coinbase was the lead provider there helping facilitate all the microtransactions needed to enter the market with that amount of capital without moving the market. You could see how if you're going to make a, a significant investment in, in the crypto market relative to its overall market cap, how you would need to distribute those order books uh, through different markets for Bitcoin so that you didn't move the market up as you were entering. Um, so they really do uh, focus on institutional clients now as well. And uh, from some preliminary research for a new product that we're working on for Crypto EQ, we can see that uh, all the competitors that we talk to respect Coinbase as a significant player in institutional uh, investment in crypto. It's really neat to see them get more and more vertically integrated over time. It's the same thing you saw with several of the brokerages uh, for equities, right? Schwab and Fidelity, you know, you could trade equities on, on those platforms. And then they've also got <clears throat> advisors and funds you can purchase for retirement and, and other things as well. So it's really interesting to see Coinbase taking the next step and getting more institutionally uh, involved. The other thing that, I, that I'd like you to chat a little bit about is, is how Coinbase is different uh, than several of these equity brokerages. I, I can go on Fidelity and buy Apple stock, but if I'm going and buying Ethereum on Coinbase, I'm not just holding that. Um, I can actually monetize the assets that I have on the platform, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important point for your audience is the difference between um, a crypto marketplace where you can buy, you know, quote unquote, IOU for the crypto um, and like an actual crypto exchange. So with Coinbase, uh, once you purchase the asset, you can store the assets on the exchange or um, you can do what's called you know, a withdrawal to your own wallet. And that's, that's what makes crypto different is this ability to be your own bank um, and put uh, the crypto that you purchased in your own wallet. Uh, you could put it in a cold storage wallet, for example, which is offline or you can put it in another wallet um, that is online, uh, for example, a, a mobile wallet that would be separate and apart and outside of Coinbase. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that's very unique about crypto is this idea of being your own bank, self-custody, the responsibility that the assets are yours, um, which makes crypto both scary and exciting all at the same time. Because with that um, response, with that privilege of, of, of having the assets in your own custody comes the responsibility. And, and educating someone around, you know, what Bitcoin is, is much different than educating someone on how to self-custody. Um, so, but Coinbase provides that opportunity, whereas, for example, buying Bitcoin on Robinhood does not. It's a, it's a key difference. Coinbase and things like it allow you to self-custody the assets if you choose. Um, things like Robinhood today uh, will not allow you to withdraw the physical Bitcoin. Perfect. And Spence, as we're, as we're winding up here, as we're winding down here, um, having such an innovative and visionary guy like you on the podcast is a lot of fun. And I wanted to ask kind of one last question, because you really are kind of at the very front of this trend that's developing out there. And I wanted to take the opportunity to ask you, what is something you're excited about that's going on out there with cryptocurrencies or with blockchains that isn't on anyone else's radar yet, that isn't hitting the mainstream in the media? And you came up with the use of blockchain infrastructure in the metaverse. 
Uh, just tell me about what, what you're so excited about this development that's going on out there. Yeah. There's There's been periods of my life where I spend an inordinate amount of time gaming. I think that a lot of, a lot of folks in the audience could probably relate to that. So every now and then like a use case will come across my plate within digital assets or I, it just immediately clicks. And so I think that's a short list for me of like assets that I think are high quality that I'm really excited about. Bitcoin was the first, you know, as a digital store value. Ethereum was the second for me as the evolution of the internet. And then since then, I've gotten really excited about um, tokens that allow you to have integrated financial services. So crypto.com is a good example of that with their CRO token. And, and really that's th that probably since Ethereum, that's what I've been most excited about is this idea of a token that allows you to have like an all-in-one type of uh, crypto financial services experience from like the debit card rewards to um, trading, um, to interest bearing accounts, things of that nature. Since that point, which was last year, that the one thing I've been most excited about is this, the metaverse movement. And, and you know, I, I've read a lot about NFTs. I mean, it's hard to miss if you are a part of our industry, it's been a massive uh, talking point and there's been a lot of exuberance around NFTs. But with metaverses, um, it really makes sense in terms of the utility for me. Um, it's one thing to store a piece of art on the blockchain. It's another thing to tokenize a game. Um, and so with metaverses, what we're seeing is this migration from a play for fun model and free to play model to a play to earn model. And so what's really the opportunity here is that people can monetize directly the efforts and pursuits within the game. Um, so the first mover here, or at least the, the most notable mover is a game called Axie Infinity. And to frame that for people, it's really like Pokemon on a blockchain. Um, so it's a, a tokenized Pokemon, if you will, where you build your team and you battle your team against other people around the world. And there's a play to earn component uh, where you can receive a token in the metaverse and then take that to a marketplace along with all of your in-game assets and have a direct route to monetize the assets and the earnings. So you can exchange what happens in the game for real world value and realize the fruits of your labor and your efforts in real world value. So that's that's what's revolutionary about things like Axie Infinity. Um, another example that I'm just now learning about is the Sandbox. And the Sandbox is a, a tokenized Minecraft. So uh, Minecraft is, is a household name in the gaming industry. It's a very, very popular global game. The Sandbox is developing a tokenized version of Minecraft where you build your worlds and your assets. And again, there's a marketplace because of the blockchain infrastructure, a marketplace for direct monetization of your assets and your efforts. What makes this different is it, within the, like the past 10 years of gaming, you know, esports has exploded, online gaming is up and to the right. I mean, it's a very clear trend. Um, but what monetization looked like two things, one monetizing the attention that you had as a gamer. So if you're a really, really good gamer, you could monetize your attention. Uh, through things like Twitch, right, or social media platforms. Uh, but uh, another way was this the kind of secondary market that would develop where you would sell your accounts or your in-game items on something like eBay. And so that this is, this is kind of confirmation that this is the way the world is moving because these secondary markets are now being uh, created as a, more of a direct marketplace because you've got the blockchain infrastructure um, and the transparency around the transactions. So in, instead of having to go to eBay, to do this like secondary kind of almost black market exchange of your in-game assets, 
you've got a marketplace built into the game where you can transact um, within the metaverse. So something that I've been personally very interested in, um, as well as it's just been something we've needed to note in, in our industry because it's been so popular. Yeah, so tokens are basically providing a frictionless way to monetize anything that's taking place on the internet these days. Exactly, they're, they're providing the infrastructure needed for more direct exchange, a peer-to-peer -peer exchange of value, whether it be a physical gold, or sorry, a digital gold in Bitcoin, or um, an application like a DAP built on Ethereum, or an NFT in a metaverse like Axie Infinity or the Sandbox. Well, there's a lot of exciting things going on uh, with, with cryptocurrencies, with blockchains, with the infrastructure that's kind of touching all industries out there. I certainly enjoy these conversations on a monthly basis. As we close out, Spence, there, you, you had a recent announcement with CryptoEQ that you've just launched something you're calling V5. Uh, can you tell us a little about what that means for your organization? Yeah, to frame it for the seven investing audience, you know, the, the hard work that Simon and team does for equities research Crypto EQ does for digital assets. So we recognized early on that it was a very complex industry. And we've been on a, a mission for years to build the best go-to resource for research and market insights on crypto. Um, so V5 is our latest offering um, on our journey to be that go-to household name for digital asset research. V5 is a complete rebuild of the web app. So we've had four iterations prior to that. Um, all with different features and, and builds and, and aspects to it. We listen to our audience. We've listened to the feedback, the asks, and V5 is our effort to answer uh, answer the calls to action for a number of tools. Uh, some, some things to highlight there that are new with V5 are a sentiment analysis and this idea of quantifying emotion in markets, um, set alerts features. So now folks can get the signals that they want, however they'd like to digest them. So they can opt into different um, signals and alert features, uh, a new card system. So we can now pass through um, you know, tweets and news articles and headlines right there on our dashboard. Uh, and so what, what does all of this do? Well, it really helps you separate the signal from the noise. It's, there's 10,000 digital assets and it's taken for me firsthand. It's very difficult to monitor all of them at once. And so the web app helps you distill all that down and screen through uh, what you should really be focusing on within a given digital asset. So if you're focused on Bitcoin, you can screen the news and the tweets and the headlines and the charts and the price action and the research all right there in the dashboard, all in one stop shop. Um, and we do that asset by asset. So we're really excited to bring V5 to the world. It is live and we encourage everyone to check it out um, at 7investing. And where is the best place for anyone interested in crypto EQ to learn more about your organization and the updates that you've been pushing out there? Yeah, cryptoeq.io is the domain for the web app. Um, so you can go access the web app for free at that domain. And then at cryptoeq is our handle on virtually all social media platforms. Um, we share content daily. Um, so give us a follow on your favorite social media platform and that's the best way to stay in the loop and talk to the team. Absolutely. And if you sign up with Crypto EQ and use promo code 7investing with the number seven, you get $10 promotional credit off of your order. Uh, we really enjoy these conversations. I really think that, that blockchains are disruptive and they're touching so many industries out there and, and actually impacting so many equities. It's been a real pleasure to partner with Crypto EQ and talk about 
what's going on out there and digest it from kind of different perspectives, whether that be from the cryptocurrency or the equity perspective. Spence, really a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me here today. Thank you, Simon. I look forward to our future conversations on crypto and, and equities and all of the wild changes that we're seeing unfold in the world. Absolutely. And as we mentioned, for anyone who wants to follow up on some more of those conversations that Spence and I have had in the past, go to 7investing.com research, search for our advisor updates where we've captured several of those takeaways and several of the topics that we chatted about here today. So thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of our 7investing podcast. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.